I'm James Ryan Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 18. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what I call Mind Discipleship. Greg Boyd said it's the most important kind of discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, set your minds on things above. The great philosopher Marcus Aurelius said, the happiness of your life depends on the quality of your thoughts. So what I try to do each week in this podcast is to bring you a glorious thought that you can set your mind on. The glorious thought for this episode is this, God overcomes our shame. Some years ago, I was reading about Simone Weil. She was a writer whose work I had recently come to appreciate. Her books reveal her deep thinking about the Christian faith. But what's interesting is that she was actually raised in a Jewish family, but became a Christian later in life. Although she didn't really sort of admit to it, she didn't think she was quite worthy of stepping into the faith. So it wasn't official, but boy, did she write about Jesus. Her biographer noted that she became a Christian or sort of stepped across that line to believe in Jesus when she read a poem, a poem by a 17th century pastor named George Herbert. Uh, The poem is Herbert's third poem of love, also known as Love Three. So I read about that, and I was like, how do you get converted by a poem? And that's pretty impressive. And fortunately, I work in a Christian college and, and has a great library, so I quickly went to the library checked out a book of Herbert's poems, sat down and read the poem, Love Three is its title. And I too was really moved. So, I mean, I could hardly speak for a few moments. And the more I read and thought about it, the more I realized just how profound this poem is. Let me read it for you now. George Herbert's Love Three. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them, Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Fini, glory to God on high and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, this poem is in quite old language, and that makes it a little bit difficult. So if you will uh, give me the opportunity, I'd like to explain what the poem means, at least to me, in an attempt to offer some insights into it. So let's start from the beginning. Love bade me welcome. Right away, Herbert tells us about the nature of God, because you see, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. So when we read love, whenever love is speaking in this poem, it's actually God. So you might say, God bade me welcome. 
In other words, God invites us in. That's the first line. Yet my soul drew back, the second line. So what is the soul's response? When, when God draws near, really near, it's natural, even right for us to draw back. God is, after all, holy and righteous. And so the soul draws back, and the reason for it is, the next line, guilty of dust and sin. Here Herbert tells us why we draw back. He never says we're anything other than guilty. You and I know in our heart of hearts that we failed, that we've fallen short of God countless times, and we draw back because we're guilty of dust and sin. I'm made of dust. Who am I to be in front of God? But quick-eyed love, <laughs> that's that one of my favorite lines. You describe, okay, if the, God, the quick-eyed God, this loving God. Herbert describes God's sight as quick-eyed love. Isn't that beautiful? God sees us fully and completely. He watches us, yes, but with eyes of love and compassion, and that can be challenging for us. The next line, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in. Now, growing slack in Herbert's day would have meant hesitation. So God God sees this hesitation. Do you see the movement? God invites us in. We draw back. God knows why. We feel guilty. So what does God do? Next line drew nearer to me. God comes closer. He, he sees us falter and, you know, we, we fall away and we faint. But what does God do? God draws closer. And what happens next? Sweetly questioning. God draws near, sweetly questioning. I love that. I mean, here begins, the rest of the poem is, is what I would call a kind of gentle argument. God draws near and asks us a question. With my earning favor narrative well in place, I'm sure that God's going to ask, why have you sinned so much? But that's not what quick-eyed love says. What does God ask? If I lacked anything. God's first question is not, what do you have to say for yourself, you rotten sinner? But rather, what do you lack? Do you need anything? The soul answers back. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. We lack a sense of being worthy. Most of us feel unworthy before God. The speaker is telling the truth. How does God answer? Love said, you shall be he. So love responds to our doubts about our worthiness by saying, you are worthy. You're worthy because I say you are. Because you're, you're worthy because of my love for you. St. Augustine wrote back in the 4th century, by loving us, God makes us lovable. See, our worthiness will, will never be merited, achieved, or earned. It's a gift and a gift can only be received. So what does the soul say? You know, right? It's been told, ah, you'll, you'll be worthy. Responds back, I, the unkind, the ungrateful, ah, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. See, there's something in us that has a hard time receiving grace, receiving the gift. I mean, after all, the world runs on merit, on earning what we get. So we're like, who, who me? I'm ungrateful. I'm unkind. Lord, do you know how bad I am? God, I, I can't even look at you. Oh, another great line to follow. Love, or God. Love took my hand, and smiling did reply. Who made the eyes but I? What a shocking image. Can you imagine God smiling about anything, about you? Love took my hand, and smiling did reply. Dallas Willard would often say that God is the most joyous being in the universe, and that would sh- shock people. Wait, got what? But love, smiling, did reply. 
many people I know cannot imagine that God is proud of them, that God even likes them. And look at God's marvelous response. Uh, who, Who made your eyes? Wasn't it me? They say, God, I'm unworthy even to look at you. God says, can't you understand that those eyes, the ones you can't lift up to me, I made them. Okay, the soul's not done in a little, little gentle argument. soul says, truth, Lord, but I've marred them. Yes, we answer. I can't argue with God. You made my eyes. I get that. But I've marred them. I've sinned. I've harmed them. Yeah, you've made my eyes, God, but I haven't used them rightly. I've looked on things I shouldn't have. I've marred them by my own actions. Let my shame go where it doth deserve, the soul pleads one more time. God, do you know who you're talking to? I'm a mess. Yeah, you gave me my eyes, my everything, but I've ruined them, so please let my shame go where it deserves. It's here in the poem that the soul cries out, not for mercy, but for justice. Look, I'm unworthy. Give me not what I want, but what I deserve. Once again, God responds. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? When we reach this important place, God steps in and says, I'm not going to disagree. You have failed. You've sinned. And yeah, you deserve to be punished for it. But hey, pay attention to this. You don't know who bore the blame? Do do you know? I mean, God's saying, Jesus bore the blame. My son took your shame and you bear it no more. Yeah, we need to stop here for a moment. Sometimes people talk about God's love as being this cosmic good feeling toward all people with no regard for justice, as if no sin were no big deal at all. But look, that's not true. We, we are sinners. And notice that if you can't say you're a sinner, then, then how can there be grace, you know? And if you pretend you're a sinner, then you'll have to pretend you're forgiven. So God says, hey, your sin is real. The penalty is death. But my son, Jesus, took that. He nailed it to the cross. He's the judge judged in your place. And then, right, it's checkmate on the soul. Last gasp for the soul. Says to God, my dear, then I will serve. See, quite often I think the message of grace makes us feel guilty instead of us making us feel joyful and free. And there are many preachers who preach that that's what they want. I mean, that's the effect they have in mind. Don't you know, young man, that Jesus died for you? Don't you feel guilty about that? And the intended response is, yes, yes, I do. I'm sorry, Lord. I'll be better. I'll try harder. I promise. I'll even go die in the mission field. Just give me a command and I'll do it. I owe you, God. Is that what God wants? Nope. God responds once again. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. In other words, in response, God says, Sit down, rest here, feast with me, be with me, enjoy my presence, and let me serve you. I don't need you to serve me. I don't need anything. I I made you because I love you, and what I really want is to be with you. My deepest desire is not that you go off to try to serve me, but that you would let me love you. What do you think God wants most from you? Last line. So I did sit and eat. This is what God wants most of all. He wants to serve us, to see us feast and rejoice in his goodness. Yeah, we will serve others, but that's as a response to God's love, a service not motivated by guilt, which is never good. 
George Herbert was a brilliant politician who left it all to be the pastor of a small church. His story's fascinating. And while he was pastoring this church, he wrote many poems, but he never intended for any of them to be read, much less published. On his deathbed, Herbert told a close friend that he had a number of poems he'd written, and he said to his friend, this is the quote, Please read them, and if you think they might be useful, do with them what you will. That's very British. Do with them what you will. So, his friend read them, and thanks be to God, he said, I think they are going to be helpful to people. They will be useful. His poems were published posthumously, and I was stunned by his modest words, if you think they might be useful. I thank God that his friend had the wisdom to see that they would indeed be useful. I know Simone Weil felt the same way. I hope you join me next week for episode 19. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith, and you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. might be a blessing to them. And you can also subscribe, which means you'll get them automatically each week. My hope is that one day if you're asked, hey, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.